really four years as vicar and started the church, planted new. So it's great to see you, great to welcome you. Um, and you're right at the beginning of a new series that we, um, we really felt uh, God was calling us to do. You know, it's one of those sort of jokes, isn't it? When sort of you're in church, you know, what's the answer to any question? It's Jesus. In fact, people often ask me when they're sort of preparing, they say, well, what are you talking about tonight, Tim? And I always say, Jesus. It's kind of an in-joke. But actually, tonight I am speaking about Jesus. In fact, for the next few weeks, we're going to be speaking about Jesus. And um, so tonight really is a bit of an introduction. Um, and hopefully it will whet your appetite. And may you come for the next eight weeks. Um, but we want you to enjoy. Each one's self-contained, but it kind of builds. And we're we really going where we sense the Holy Spirit leading us. Um, a little boy was afraid of the dark. Had anyone here ever been afraid of the dark? I used to be really, really scared of the dark, properly paralyzed by fear. And uh, God uh, delivered me from that, set me free quite miraculously. But that's another story. But there was this little boy, and he was scared of the dark. And one night, his uh, mummy said, can you go out to the back porch um, and bring in the broom that's there? I want to do some cleaning. And he turned to his mum and he said, yeah, mama, it's, it's really dark back there. Um, I'm a bit scared. I don't really want to go out there. And she smiled reassuringly at her child, as mothers do, looked at her, at her son, said, you don't, you don't have to be scared of the, the dark, Timmy. We'll call the boy Timmy. Don't be scared of the dark. Jesus is out there and he'll look after you. He'll protect you. And the boy kind of looked back at his mum real hard, a bit in the way little boys look at their mum when they say something they're not quite sure about. And he said, uh, are you sure he's out there, Mama? And she said, yeah, I'm sure. Jesus is everywhere. He's always ready to help you. Whenever you need him, you can just call on him. So the boy thought about that, goes for a minute and goes back to the back door to get the broom. Opens the door a little crack and peeks out and says, Jesus, if you're there, can you hand me the broom? <laughs> this could be a story from my life. Jesus, what do we think of Jesus? Who do we think Jesus? Do we, are we like this little boy who kind of has this little picture of Jesus? I wonder what your picture of Jesus is. I wonder how you imagine Jesus. I wonder what you think about Jesus. So maybe you're here tonight because you've kind of been brought up in a Christian household. You've gone to church. You, you know, you're part of the whole scene. And you kind of have a pretty good idea of who you think Jesus is. Maybe you've kind of been dragged along tonight. You thought you were coming to something else. And you got brought to church. <laughs> I didn't know churches like this. You sure he's a vicar? He doesn't look like a vicar. Maybe you've been brought in tonight and you think, well, I don't know who this Jesus bloke is. Well, hopefully we're going to begin to journey to find out. See, we have all sorts of ideas about Jesus. And really, the starting point for this whole series was me thinking about that passage where um, Jesus was kind of with his friends and he starts asking them, who, who do people say I am? That's a really interesting question today. If you ask people out on the streets, so, so who do you think Jesus is? Now, you might not walk up to someone randomly and do that because they might think you're a bit of a nutcase. But actually, it's quite interesting if you get into a conversation. You know, people think they know who this Jesus is or think they might be a myth, all, all sorts of ideas. And so Jesus is provoking them and poking them and trying to find out, who, who do people say I am? And then there comes a killer question. But we'll get to that in a minute. I've just put a little bit of a video together from a song that I heard. Um, I quite like the lyrics, and um, maybe you'll know it. It's a, it's a song with some images and some pictures, just to get us thinking. Who is this Jesus guy?
lots of us know lots about Jesus and quite a few of us hopefully know him but I guess the challenge for all of us when I read this passage and it came really strongly to mind you know the challenge to Peter was who who do people say to the disciples who do people say that I am and they come up with some answers 
Then the real killer question is, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Who do you say I am? So my question to you, 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 and me, Jesus looks us square in the eye and says, who do, who do you say I am? That's the, ch- that's the challenge. Um, I was at St. Tom's this morning, which is the other church where I'm vicar, and um, I was doing like a little quiz, because it's always good to make sure people are conscious when you're doing a sermon. And uh, this was one used for children, um, so I'm going to see if you lot are any better. Hopefully you'll know these. I'll start you off with an easy one. Okay. Interaction is good, so feel free to shout out. You don't, it's okay, you're allowed to do that as Anglicans. You don't have to just be Pentecostals to do that. So, number one, where was Jesus born? Wait for it. Was it A, Texas? I thought I'd start you off easily. B, Nazareth, or C, Bethlehem? Oh, he's so bright. You can tell lots of you at Bath University. Some of you probably at Bath Spa as well. Eh? Any Bath Spas tonight? Oh, God bless Bath Spa. Um, okay, question two. Um, what did Jesus promise to those who believe in him? A, that they would live forever. B, that they would be like lilies of the field. Or C, they would all wear sandals. They would live forever, yes. Eternal life. <laughs> okay, here's one. Uh, they, they all looked a bit scared at St. Tom's suddenly this morning. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know the answer to this one. Oh, I should know the answer to this one. I don't know the answer to this one. How big was Jesus' family? A, he had one brother. B, he had at least seven brothers and sisters. Or C, he was an only child. B, two of you out there are very sure of that. The rest are a bit scared. <laughs> the two that were at St. Tom's this morning, that's cheating. You can't do that. No, he was an only child. No, he was. Yes, he had at least seven brothers and sisters, correct. How long was his... We're getting to the end now. You'll be delighted. Not the end of the sermon. (laughs) Someone think, please, let it be the end. How long was he in the public eye? About 45 years on and off? About 10 years or about three years? Yes, C. I didn't even say C, but well done. Yeah, C, three years. And the last one. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? I'm finished. You're all finished. Or it is finished. (laughs) Good. I'm glad you got these right. Good grief. I was just checking where I need to theologically pitch this, so that's very helpful. You know, these are just silly. These are, these are questions that were asked, uh, slightly worryingly, in, 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 a, in a quiz for children. But, you know, we kind of know this sort of stuff, and we know stories about Jesus, and we know a little bit about him. Um, a bit of background, though, why Jesus even asked this question to the disciples, who do people say I am? You know, it wasn't that he was insecure and wanted to check out his cred amongst the locals. He was, he was probing and he was pushing. And interestingly, I think this is probably why. They're on a journey. They've been traveling together for quite a while. And they're physically on a journey. And they're in Caesarea Philippi, this area, um, which is way north of Jerusalem. Um, and it's kind of north of Galilee. It's about one and a half hours drive up in the Golan Heights. It's quite, a, it's quite a, a distant place. And it seems a bit of an odd place to have an identity lesson on Jesus. But actually, it's really interesting because Caesarea Philippi was this hotbed of religious experimentation people in this area are into a whole range of spirituality and different gods and um, exploring all sorts of things from paganism through to greek religions and there was a new prominent temple had just been built at this time devoted to the newest pagan god which was the roman emperor himself 
who people were called to come and worship there. So there's all these different religions vying for uh, power, because it was often about power and wealth and influence. And right in the middle of it, Jesus is saying to these guys who are following him, so who do people around here think that I am? We live in days when there's so much spirituality bubbling around, isn't it? You know, people talk about the New Age and mysticism and East philosophies and all sorts of things. It's not a new thing. There have always been these vying spiritualities. And sometimes Jesus gets lumped in amongst them all, doesn't he? And in this, in this kind of context, Jesus is saying, okay, well, all these things are happening. People look at me, they hear me, they've listened to me, they've watched me do miracles. And what, what do people make of me? Who do they think I am? And you heard the answer Sarah read there. Various people, they come up, well, it, they say you might be Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Because, of course, there was a view amongst the, the Jews at the time that, that there would be, some of the prophets would, be kind of, would come back to prepare the way for the Messiah. And there was clearly an understanding that this Jesus guy, he was miraculous. He was from God. He was, there was something really different about him. And so some of the people say, well, maybe it's Elijah come back. Maybe it's one of the other prophets that God has sent. And Jesus kind of goes, oh, that's interesting. And then he looks Peter and his friends straight in the eye and says, okay, but who do you say I am? What a question. What a moment. But, you know, it's a really good question. That's why we're asking it. And I felt that's why God was asking us to look at it so that every single one of us in this church family look afresh again at Jesus. I mean, I love, we can't help but smile at some of those images up on the screen that I found. You know, it was just a real quick grab. You know, if you, if you Google Jesus on the internet, quite a lot of stuff comes up, funnily enough. And most of the pictures, you think, oh, they're awful. You know, this beautiful, serene, smiley, benign, slightly looking off into the distance, or like he's got a squint, often blue eyes and a halo around him and soft focus and you look at this you think is that really Jesus was he really like that so when you think of Jesus what do you think of do you think of those images maybe you think of the images you know when I grew up I grew up in a Baptist church Uh, I I had a home but I went to a Baptist church when I was growing up it was a very traditional church and on the wall I remember in this tiny little children's room where I used to go out there and cause chaos but in this church there were these pictures of Jesus you know, carrying a lamb on his shoulders or under his arm or, you know, uh, and I, I, it was weird. I didn't know, if, did he work on a farm? I had no idea who this guy was. You know, long flowing kind of robes and smiley face and this was the Jesus that I thought was real. Is that the Jesus who we know? So when I say the word Jesus to you, what words come to mind? Okay, this is your moment to wake up again. Shout them out. Say again. Healer. Teacher, gentle, love, friend, grace. Yeah? That's a good one. That's one of our younger members. Patience. There's all sorts, there's all sorts of words and names that may come to mind. And some of them are kind of like programmed into us. So we, we, we regurgitate them, and rightly so. You know, it might be shepherd, it might be king, it might be teacher, it might be human, it might be God, it might be all of these attributes of his character, all which are really, really brilliant. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of them, but we're not going to look at some of the more classic ones that are easy to do. Because when I first thought about this, you know, what comes to mind is the I am's, for example. 
a whole list of stuff that many of us have perhaps studied or been in church with, which are great. But we're not going to, we've, we've not gone for those. We've gone for some of the things that we felt God led us to. And some of them are about his nature, his character. You know, we often talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, don't we, that phrase. And yet when I look in the Bible, he was incredibly gentle. But meek and mild? I'm not sure. When he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, I'm not sure how kind of meek and mild he was being that. There was a moment of challenging the religious spirit when he reached out and he touched the leper. He was an incredibly radical man, full of power and authority, but yet incredibly gentle and tender as well. So we're going to look at him and think who he is. And sometimes people think they know all about Jesus. I I genuinely had a really funny conversation, and it's always stayed with me a few years ago when I worked in Bristol with a guy. Um, I would often try and chat to people, and and, and Bristol's full of people, Uh, but some of them very, very interesting, the ones we used to work with around St. Paul's and that was great. And I remember meeting this guy in St. Paul's, and somehow we got into this conversation about Jesus. He was like, oh, yeah, no, I know all about Jesus. I studied all the religions, and I looked particularly looked at Christianity, and yeah, I, I know Jesus really well. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Wait, wait, tell me, what have you discovered? Oh, for years I read all about him, and I, I, I looked everywhere, and I Googled him. <laughs> uh, and I said, oh, right, brilliant, tell me. He said, yeah. So I said, can you just tell me what you think then? Who, who is this guy you know really, really well? You know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he said, these were his words. I wrote them down at the time. He said, yeah, he, he was a kind of hippie. He wore kaftans and silk pyjama kind of things. He loved flowers and never ate and never got old. He was a good dude. I like that bit. That was good. He said he was like a teacher, but he was like a cosmic being. He was an alien, I think. Yeah, I think he was an alien. At that point, the conversation got a bit weird. But he was just a kind of normal, regular guy. And I thought, wow, where have you been reading about Jesus? And I then said to him, have you ever read the Bible? He went, no, man. And we sat and talked a bit about that, about how maybe actually you can find Jesus through Scripture in a really, really helpful way. I had a great conversation and prayed with him. But, you know, I reckon sometimes all of us, even those who have been around church for a long time, can have sometimes a slightly skew-with view of Jesus because of the media, because of our background, because of our churchmanship that we grew up in, because of things and wounds that have happened to us, because a whole load of other stuff can affect us. And Jesus says to them, who do you say I am? So who do you say he is? That's the heart of this story. We may not have been with Jesus in the same way the disciples were on that journey, but Jesus' question is a really good one, and it still resounds some 2,000 years later. Who am I? asks Jesus, do you know who I am? Who do you say I am? He asks it to us through scripture, through friends, through neighbours, through our circumstances, through pain and suffering. Jesus is constantly saying, do you know who I am? Do you really know who I am in the midst of this time? In your times of pain, in your times of struggle, in your times of difficulty, in your times of joy, do you really know who he is? And perhaps it's, ironically, for those of us who have been around church for quite a long time, maybe it's not a question that we think much about, because we kind of feel like, yeah, I've done that. I did an Alpha course. Um, I I, I did Sunday school. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus some time ago. Yep, I I think I'm I'm there with it. I'm done. I, I I guess I know where we are. We know all the right answers, right? We know that Jesus died so that the bad things we've done can be forgiven, and that the bad things that others have done to us 
can be healed and forgiven. We know that Jesus is the answer to all the world's problems, even if we're not quite sure how that works, but he is. But maybe that sometimes gets a bit lodged up here and something doesn't move the kind of 18 inches down to our heart where we really not know about him, but where we really, really know him. I remember some years ago um, feeling like I'd really encountered God the Father, the Father heart of God. I'd really experienced his healing, his breakthrough, his, his deliverance, his transformation in my life. I'd experienced the Father heart of God in a miraculous way. And I'd had an incredibly, encounter, incredibly incredible <laughs> encounter with the Holy Spirit, which came as a bit of a shock to me because I discovered he was a person full of power, full of holiness, and that actually he wants to engage in our lives in a way that transforms us, that bears fruit and brings gifts. And so I felt like I'd really got to know the Holy Spirit really well. But on that journey, and this was you know, a little while after I'd become a Christian, I suddenly thought, but I'm not sure how well I really, really know Jesus. I know about him. I know his names. I know his attributes. I know that he's kind. I know he's saviour. I know he saved me. I know he died on the cross. I know he loves me. I know... But I wasn't sure how well I really knew him. And it started me on a journey of saying, Lord, Jesus, I really want to get to know you. And my prayer for each of us, quite simply, is over these weeks, that could be a prayer for us. Whether it's for the first time, maybe you don't know him at all. Or maybe you've known him but there's always more that he wants to reveal of himself. See, I think for those of us who, whom Jesus is perhaps an old one, the danger is that we answer too quickly when Jesus says, who do you say I am? Well, we know you're, you're patient, you're kind, you're good, you're loving, you're our saviour. You're... And we answer the right answers a little bit by rote, though. We assume we know who Jesus is because of all our history, all the images, all the thoughts, all the wonderful sermons that we've heard over the years, all the Sunday school classes we've been through, all the assemblies we've been through, all the songs and hymns we've sung, all the times we've been to Soul Survivor. We think we know Jesus. We remember the pictures from Google and we've seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ like this through squinty hands. We think we know Jesus. But there's so much more of him to discover that he wants to lead us to. Certainly, um, often our answer to Jesus' question is a habitual, instinctive one. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. I know who you are, Jesus. Well, this series, in the words of Taylor Swift, is designed to shake, 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 shake it off, baby. Or shake it, I'm trying to be relevant socially and, you know, politically. That was actually her last album, so that's a bit of an old song. Um, but we do need shaking up sometimes, or stirring up as they talked about in the beginning, stirring up our view of who Jesus is. Because he wants us to go deeper, to not have a superficial relationship with him, but to know who he truly is. There is always so much more to discover and understand. It's like climbing a mountain. Some of us recently went up to Scotland to um, a house. Mary, uh, who's the parish administrator, and Andrew, they've got this house up in Scotland, and we went and climbed Ben Glass, which if you go to Scotland, there's not a lot to do apart from climb big hills, if I'm honest. I love Scotland, but if you don't like climbing or walking, don't go. Unless you've got a good car, and then you can drive and enjoy the views. I love Scotland, it's beautiful. So we got there, and lo and behold, they said we're going to go and climb one of the Munros, which is Ben Glass. And one of these hills, you go and climb, and if you've done any of the mountains in Scotland, you can see it in the distance. Usually, you can't actually, it's usually in rain, cloud. But you climb up through these layers, 
and you, you, you kind of turn a corner and you think you're going to get to the top and you think you're there and then you get there and actually you know there's another bit to climb and you climb on a bit more and Mary says no it's okay we're, not, we're nearly there and you, you climb a bit more and then you're not really nearly there and there's a bit more and she says that two or three times and the third time you begin to think maybe she's telling fibs but at that point she cracks open some whiskey so you keep going and that's kind of what we did for quite a long time and endlessly going higher and there's always more it felt like there was always more we eventually got to the top of Ben Glass which is one of the Mumro's spectacular view, beautiful, just stood there and genuinely worshipped. It was just spectacular. And then they said there's another 29 Munros to climb. Not that day, fortunately, but we did climb another one. There's always more. There's always more to discover. There's always more to adventure in God. There's always more to press into. There's always more landscape to discover. If you think you've got to the end of God, then really you haven't. You'll turn a corner and a whole new vista will appear in front of you. More of his grace, more of his love, more of his goodness, more of his kindness, more of his power, more of his authority, more of his kingship, more of his lordship, more of his mercy, more of his healing touch. There's always so much more to discover. So when he says, who do you say I am? My internal response now is, well, I see a bit, Lord, but I'd really love to see a bit more and know a bit more. That's what this series is all about. And this is really to whet your appetite. However much we think we know, there's always so much more to discover. And, you know, one of the dangers, I think, can be um, kind of symbolized by Peter, by Peter's response, which is a good response. He says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's come to save. You're the one sent from God. He blurts it out. It kind of comes out from deep inside. I almost don't think he knows he's saying it. The Holy Spirit reveals it to him. And there's this bubble up of revelation. I remember when I first encountered Jesus. I'd known all about him. I'd gone to church for years and years and years. But I remember being in this one meeting. Um, We were actually being asked. I was being asked to be in this drama about the crucifixion. And in in this drama, I was actually being Jesus. And I remember doing this thing as a kind of 17-year-old and having an incredible encounter with Jesus and barely being able to get through this sketch of me being nailed to this cross because of God's glory and his presence, suddenly realizing who he actually was and what he had done for me, having a revelation. Holy Spirit reveals something in me that I couldn't get in my head up here. Something happened in my heart. And in this moment... Peter has this revelation of who Jesus really is. You're sent from heaven. You're the Messiah. But you know, the problem was, I don't think Peter really understood what the Messiah was about. You see, for him, he thought the Messiah, like most of the Jews, they were waiting for a Messiah to come and conquer the Romans, to kick the Romans out of Israel, to restore the glory of the nation, to restore the power of Israel, to save a people, and really to save their faith, because they, the people of God, had been overcome and overwhelmed by the Romans. And The Messiah was needed to restore all that. But he had no glimpse of who Jesus really was, even though he got his name right and knew that he was sent from God. He had no understanding that there was a much bigger global picture that Jesus had come to liberate the entire world, to save every person, to offer his life for every person, to save the whole world every country throughout the whole of human history. And so he wasn't expecting uh, a bruised, blooded, crucified history changer that split the whole of the world, human history, into two, before Christ and after Christ. 
And you know, sometimes when we think we know Jesus, we limit him because of our expectations. That's true, isn't it? We come to Jesus, yeah, I know you're a healer, Jesus, but you probably won't heal me. Jesus, I know you're a liberator, but this area of bondage in my life, I know you can set people free, but I don't expect you'll do it for me. And we limit his glory, we limit his goodness, we limit what he wants to do in us because Jesus fits our template and perhaps it's difficult to break beyond that. And maybe some of you here are thinking about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're thinking about that this evening for the first time. Who is this Jesus? Who do I really think he is? Maybe you've picked up some of the caricatures of Jesus, you know, this sort of slightly floaty hippie in sandals, and you think, is that it? It's really nice. He's nice with lambs and small children. You know, you'd invite him to a children's party, but you're not sure you'd want to go down the pub with him. Jesus wants to reveal who he really is. And he'd really love to go down the pub with you. I think the real danger is not recognizing that the question is really addressed, not simply to Peter, but to you. Who do you say I am? Asks Jesus. Because Jesus wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know about him. But more importantly, he wants you to know him. I'm going to close with these two quotes. Some of you will be very familiar with them. This is from um, C.S. Lewis. I'm sure many of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, fantastic books, the whole series. Well, C.S. Lewis has written many fantastic theological books as well. And he's written this one called uh, Mere Christianity, which I'm sure some of you have read. He says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must never say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So these um, weeks coming before we hit Advent, (laughs) which takes us into Christmas, yes. Um, Sorry, I get excited about that in early June, Christmas. Advent is all about the coming of the king. This series will take us to thinking who he is up to the beginning of December. And in this next series, if you're going to travel with us, if you're not able to, it's all going to be online. You can listen to it. We're going to look at Jesus as servant, as Lord, as bridegroom, as judge, as friend, as lamb, as truth, and as Messiah. This last quote from C.S. Lewis, another quote. We're faced then with a frightening alternative. This man we're talking about either was and is just what he said, or else a lunatic or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on the enemy-occupied world in human form.
Why? Well, you're going to need to come back next week and find out. I wonder if you know him. I want to play a video, uh, an audio track that I recorded a few years ago at a conference just as we finish and go back into worship. There's always so much more of God to discover, so much more of him to encounter, so much more that will blow your mind. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, I was on a church planting training thing up in London with a bunch of churches and a guy called Dr. Lockeridge, he's, he's recently passed away, he was asked to, to close, uh, <laughs> close the conference, to open the conference rather. Open? Open the conference in prayer. He was um, a black Pentecostal guy, so he absolutely rocks. And he was asked to just pray a kind of short opening prayer. And he got up and he prayed this prayer that I'm going to play to you. And I managed to get a recording of it. It was on a tape. Most of you here are too old to even know what a tape is. Um, But I got this recording of this tape from the night. And every now and then, when my view of God gets a bit smaller, because sometimes when our circumstances are tough, when life's pressing in, when we get ill, when there's not answered prayers, when people we love suffer, when circumstances around us rage against us, when the enemy starts lying to us, sometimes our view of God gets smaller and smaller and our faith diminishes and our hope and our resilience recedes. Well, when we get under challenge like that, I know I need to remind myself the true nature and glory and goodness of God, how big a God I have. And one of the ways sometimes I do that is I play this track Some people who have been around at St. Matt's once or twice will have heard this. This is a little bit about who God is. So the question is, I wonder if you know him. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder do you know him? (laughs) David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king uh, is is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the coronal necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's, he, yes, he is. 
He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, this is my king. He is the key. He's the key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's in the... Yeah, he's indescribable. Yes, he is with God. He, he's indescribable. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's mocking. That's mocking. Yes. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Good God Almighty. Amen. Amen. So I wonder if you know him. <laughs> and the amazing thing is that's just a tiny, tiny part of who God is. Just a tiny, tiny, weeny, weeny bit. There's so, so much more to discover. So much more to encounter. So much more of his glory, his wonder. And we're all on that journey, every single one of us, whether you don't really know who Jesus is right now or whether you've known him all of your life for many, many years. The great adventure that we're all called into is to discover more, to push into the glorious lands, to go in deeper, to go in further. Drawn by Aslan, the great lion roaring to us, calling us. So we're going to just close in worship. I'm going to invite the bands to come up. We're going to close with some communion.